Today on the show, I had the privilege and pleasure of interviewing one of my friends, Oluwashi Yashige. He's currently in Nigeria. And so we spoke about the divided states of Nigeria. We spoke about American liberalism versus conservatism. We spoke about minimum wage, healthcare, and, and just a capitalist structure of America. We spoke about the age of artificial intelligence, the pros, the cons, and what scares us about it. We spoke about the meaning of life. We spoke about sports too and we got into very interesting conversations hi my name is ala shaney and i'm your host of Wademi. i hope that you stay tuned and enjoy this podcast as much as i didn't enjoy interviewing shay thank you everybody welcome back to Wademi. and today the virtual studio i have one of my very close friends and uh we have a uh, bunch of topics to get into him i'm really excited to see what he, um, his takes are on this on the subject matter and without further ado i'll let our guest today introduce himself yeah who are we talking to today hi everyone um my name is shay um i'm a soon to be graduate from the university of texas at austin and it was through the school that i met shaney initially when i went to school there he was the one day to take me to and from church yeah, so that's those trips, that's how we, we got close. Yes, sir. I remember. I remember those days. Um, Foreign times aren't wearing day. Yeah. <laughs> yes, sir. Um, I would like to get straight into it. And um, Shay is currently in Nigeria this time. And, and I would like to start with a topic or with, with, with a news that is coming out from Nigeria now. Um, and this first segment, I would like to title it Divided States of Nigeria. And Shay, I wanted to just, you know, let, let's start from, from like the basics, right? Is secessionism treasonous? Right? And, and, and does democracy allow states to secede from it? Huh. Personally, I wouldn't say the desire to secede is necessarily treasonous. At the end of the day, what holds up a country is as long as Every, every part of the country is satisfied with what the, like, the direction the country is going and the role in the country. So when one part is telling you that, oh, we don't like how we're being treated, we're not having the same opportunities as everyone else, we would like to leave this arrangement. I don't see that as treason. I think treason is more of like they're trying to break away and they're selling secrets to like another country and everything. So I think if you want to call yourself a period, like a, a democratic nation, I think there should be, if there's strong enough support for it, there should be a public vote for it. Right. So, and, and you know, thinking about this news, and we'll probably give some, some background context to it, because I was, I felt like, and this is very kind of personal, that democracy itself, right, it's, it's very, and I don't, and I know we use the word liberal very, very freely, but it seems like, it, it, it works itself in a way that if people are not happy, you could actually, you know, through, you know, some legalities still leave. And I feel like it's, it's self-destructive kind of a way because I don't know, I would prefer a, a system whereby it doesn't give room for you to leave it. But I think that's the beauty of democracy that, um, even if you, if you decide, like you said, like, you know, like you said, if you, if, if you have enough votes or um, enough following enough to say, okay, you know, we're not happy right now, 
you could decide to secede. But don't you think that that's like self-destructive on the part of democracy? If, if we could restructure democracy, like to say, okay, you could actually do leave this type of government or you could leave the government that's currently running you. Mm. I mean, that's kind of, I think that's just the way like a pure democracy is designed really. It's just, it's, it's power to the people. Technically, it's just it's whatever the people want, they vote on, and they they get. Obviously, sometimes you don't know what you what you want. I guess sometimes you don't know what you're going to get until it happens. An example, uh, obviously, a prominent example today is obviously the Brexit vote in the UK. So, so it, yeah, right. It can be kind of destructive in that sense, but I think that's something that if you want to call yourself a democracy. And I think that dem- I think democracy is, is the direction the world really should be going towards. You kind of just have to accept that what the people want is what they're going to get. Right, and 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 what the people want is what they're going to get. It, it's 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 a very it's a very I don't want to say a precarious situation, but it, it's it. I just sometimes, right, I, I think, and, and of course, um, this was not part of the things I wanted us to get into, but just just thinking about, you know, in America, for instance, the voting right, right? Um, and and you've been, and, and like the one in Arizona that they spoke about, and I think I spoke about one of, I spoke about it with one of the guests we had on the show, um, but just being able to, even though it might be unfair, but just because it doesn't hold to the letter of the law and you know this is a democratic nation in america so to say um of course you know it's, it's a democratic nation but you know you, you see some things that are unfair that they're unfair to but but they're unfair but just because of the type of system we are in it's permissible uh what do you think about that like sometimes the unfair advantage that comes from because it's it's you know it's allowable it's not it's not like it's you know, maybe the outcome the outcome of it is bad, or we might think it's bad, but it's it's not illegal to do it. You know what I'm saying? Mm-hmm. So, what what do you think about like people taking advantage of that part of it, even though it's there? I don't know. I feel some type of way about it. Oh, no, no, no. I definitely feel I definitely feel about that. But my controversial opinion on this is that I really don't see America as exactly a shining example of democracy, personally, for me, because. I mean, you can say like your electoral process is is democratic. I mean, you have you have all all have our opinions on the uh, the electoral college, but that that's not what we're talking about right now. But overall, your electoral process is dem- democratic. But aside from that, your legislative process is isn't there. It's it's almost it's almost um, completely paid for by corporate lobbyists and. That's not necessarily the voice of the people as a voice of billionaires, as a voice of like corporations. I mean, not that. And most of the time they, they pay politicians to make like laws and followings based on their own best interests and not necessarily like the common man in the, in the United States. Yeah, but I think I, I would probably disagree with you that America is not a shining example of democracy. I think America still has the strongest democracy like in in the in the world, I would say, and of course, you know, getting to the path of or to the part of um, electoral co- uh, college, it's it's an interesting. Well, maybe we'll get into that. Maybe we'll get into that because I don't want to severe off very much from 
um, from the divided states of Nigeria that wanted to get into. But I think I think that America tried, you know, there's this check and balances, right? And of course, there's no perfect, you know, democracy. But I think America is probably the closest we'll get to um, to perfect democracy. Um, but okay, so we've established the fact that, um, you know, to succeed is not treasonous. I don't think, I think I'm with you on that. It's not, you know, if people feel um, marginal, marginalized and feel like they're underrepresented, you know, and, and they decide to leave. Um, so uh, I guess my, my, my second point is, um, especially specifically for Nigeria, is it feasible for, um, you know, this, this succeeding, seceding, you know, especially with a European nation and IPOP? Like, what do you think about that? Like, could they self-sustain themselves? Like, okay, let's say it, go, it, it does go through. Like, how do you sustain yourself? Yeah, and that's kind of where the whole secession movement kind of loses me. I understand the feelings of the people that are behind this, and I think they should have a right to express that feeling. But at the same time, I don't know what, like, they're going to look like after seceding. Because at the end of the day, right, a lot of these states that are, well, that have people supporting this movement, a lot of their infrastructure and everything is being backed, even though, even though like, they'll say not enough, but being, they're still being backed by federal finance, financial backing is coming from the federal government. And, and of course, some of these areas, right, you leave them alone, they may not have, like, the, the power, the, the resources to really build up their own wealth. So I think, personally, my own, like, opinion is I think that um, seceding for both IPOB and the Nation is not very realistic right now. I think if it happens, it's not going to really go well for the people. It's going to that I don't see where like they're gonna build an economy out of just those these states, the little wealth that they have. So I think for like the sake of like the people living there right now, I think right now at least they should they shouldn't be looking to succeed. Yeah, yeah, I th- I think I do agree with that too. Because I don't think I don't think the states are you know self sufficient by themselves or you know I I don't I don't think so too. I agree with you on that. Um, also, so I guess moving moving on to this. So, wh- what do you think started this whole movement? And I know like IPOB has been around since you know, not that's not very new. You know, I think Urban Nation is probably you know newer to me. Um, but I think IPOB has been around at least the movement Mr. Khan started has been around for a while. Was what do you think is responsible for this? You know, why would a nation want to divide? Like, why why would this you know, why why would this be part of part of part of the psyche or part part of what we're thinking about now as Nigerians, like, okay, maybe we need to split. Uh, oh, it's, it goes back to uh, like a long time. It's like the urban nation protest that was had recently and like, the whole talk about everything has, it's not somebody just came out like randomly. So it's come up, it's come up because of, it's not necessarily just Buhari, but in terms of like the history of Nigeria, like, out of the I say about 60 years that we've been an independent nation, about like 40 of the years have been like under Fulani rule. And like most of like the federal bureaucracies, federal, federal agencies are headed by Fulanis. And of course, right now the current president is, is a Fulani person and he's very famous for being very tribalistic. So you see, you see here that a lot of these other tribes are getting ignored. Um, uh, the Fulani people, like their crimes are being being, I guess, not really paid attention to like, like the 
Fulani herdsmen and farmer conflict has been going on for decades now. Has been as it's accelerated in the past five years, and not once has President Buhari done anything to help these people that are being attacked by these Fulani herdsmen that are trying to take their land. No protection for them, and no like condemning of these actions. Like he refuses to call out his own tribesmen. So people around there see that, and they see that a lot of like they have no power around everything there because most of the people heading these strong like government agencies are Fulani themselves. They don't see the Fulani getting their just like their they don't see them getting justice. So to them, they they don't to them like they see that okay this country is no longer for us. We can't we can't be part of this regime where we where our needs are going to be ignored. And 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 those those are very valid, you know. And um, President Buhari instead, you know, is is focused on, on on Twitter being banned in Nigeria or something very, very, very minute that that does not even something very. I don't want to, you know, I still want to be respectful to him um, as possible. But yeah, I think incompetent leadership um, is also has a major role to play. In, you know, thinking that your government has failed you. You know, I think. Um, for me, that's that's how I feel, you know, from like an outsider looking in, like, you know, it seems like the government has failed us. Um, what do you think about the response of the government to the protest? I know that um, I read or heard somewhere that Sunday Bo'o's, um house was raided like in the dead of the night, and I think two of his people were killed. What do you think to the response of the government to the protest? And I know I think that they stopped one, probably the one in Lagos, and they didn't let it go on. And, and what do you think about this infringement in people's rights to protest or to to come together um, to, to 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 say what they're going through and 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 the response of the government to that? It's been terrible. It has yeah. absolutely been terrible. I, you mentioned Buhari's focus on Twitter. Like I think what given is obvious that like, oh like oh the censorship of speech and. My personal, like, my personal little conspiracy theory on that is that he sees Twitter as a way for, like, a lot of these youth that are protesting against him to gather. And he's, that's a way of trying to cut that, like, meeting, meeting place, I guess, out. And obviously, we see, like, we see the, his reaction to any sort of protest and anything under his name, like, the NSARS disaster, the, the urban nation one where someone was killed, obviously, the things he's doing to the IPUB in the southeast. It's, 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 a, it's a, a huge infringement of the rights of the people. Like at the end of the day, regardless of whatever you feel about what they're protesting, the people, the people, the citizens have a right to, to, to speak, to, to comment on how things are going to protest and the violence that they're being, they're being inflict, they're being um, subjected to is completely, it's, it's, it's akin to a dictatorship. It doesn't feel like a democracy under Buhari. I know, and, and you know this. <laughs> this, 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 interesting and, and just um, mind mind boggling to you that Nigeria doesn't feel as democratic as it used to be. You know, it feels very totalitarian. It feels very dictator dictatorshipy, um, and and all that. So, um, so the secession of Yoruba states and and and, and eastern states. Um, so where does other people stand? You know, where does other, you know, the north or you know the, the 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 south or the south south? Like, 
where do they sound? Where do they stand? Is it just only just two nations um, that that want to secede, or 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 what's going on with the other people? Um, if you like on a personal level, you're going to have varying answers. If people are part of the different tribes or support, some people have part of like that. That's like Ibe, but I think like overall, well, the North obviously they are cool with everything. I mean, everyone's benefiting from this regime right now, but I think overall everyone else they're kind of staying out of it. Like right now, obviously it's only just like the beginnings of any real push towards it. Everyone else is just kind of walk, waiting to see what's going to happen. They're not really picking a side just yet. Yeah. Yeah. Cause there's this, this, how, this, how it feels exactly that, um, you know, they're not um, picking, picking sides right now. And, you know, So, in your personal opinion, should Nigeria divide? Um, I know, like, long time ago, some people thought that was the way forward. Because, like, we don't feel united. Um, I remember in, 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 in even in, in, in sports, in, in the soccer, you know, the golden generation of Nigerian soccer, that even in that, in the, in the team, right, the people did not pass to, to, to some people because you're just not from the same tribe. And um, I think um, Sunday Olise, one of the greatest midfielders that's ever come out from Africa, in my opinion, um, you know, he said, and he did apologize, I think, at um, Yakini's um, funeral, maybe when they were honoring that team. And he said, he or someone else said this, and I don't want to misquote, um, that, you know, he felt like they were not giving him the ball because he's Yoruba. So is Nigeria even united, or is this... We know we have over 250 languages. So it, this tribalistic approach to things, because even it, it, the next election, right, it will be a president from a probably different part of Nigeria that will go in there. So if it's not an East, it's someone from the East, um, you know, how would the people from the East feel? If it's someone from the West, are we going to now say, okay, all right, we're not moving. Like, would the people of the North now say, hey, we're moving? So how do you think Nigeria is united even in the first place? And um, what do you take? Well, what are your thoughts on that? Oh, no. No, we haven't been united for a long time. I don't think we've ever, ever actually felt united all the way back to, all the way back to when the country was formed. Like, of course, like, you have, if you see how the divisions come from all the way back then, because at the end of the day, we're not a country that was formed, like, like oh, the leaders of these tribes met inside the home of the country. We're the ones that we were kind of forced together by the British. I think some of the tribes even back then were in, were in conflict. So to suddenly come onto this, under this one country, even though those, those, that was like 100 years ago now, it's still going to cause, it's, there's still underlying tensions. Right? And I don't think, I don't, I don't think this country, at least not anytime soon, I don't think it's ever going to feel united like that. But at the same time, right, so well, socially, Socially, I'd say, socially, I'd say that um, we should succeed, but financially and and politically, it doesn't make any sense right now. So I say, now I'll be right with you. Sorry about that, man. They, they took life here, so. Oh, okay. Yeah. But anyway, anyway, um, to get back into it, everything, right? 
out like the country it would be very hard to see the people ever feel united. The only time the only time we ever feel united sometimes sometimes even is under football. But even then of course the tribalist parts the tribalism the tribalism is still there. Like if a certain player messes up, if he's from a certain tribe, that tribe is gonna be it's gonna feel abused by the others and you know everything. Like the divisions are all are always there, even at other times when we're united. So as a country it really to stay together, but like economically, it doesn't make any sense to succeed. Right, but how do you think that would play out? And 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 of course, um, you know, I was talking to my dad about this, and of course, he he's he's Nigerian. He's like he's very informed. Um, and you know, we're talking about restructuring. You know, like maybe not to succeed, but like to restructure. But part of me to say this, I don't think our leaders in National Assembly. I know intellectually they're very sound, but I don't. I think their mind has been corrupted that they cannot. I don't think. I don't think they could formulate a concept of restructure for Nigeria. Am I? Am I? Am I wrong about that? You're not. You're not. I mean, well, intellectually, it's, it makes sense, right? They should, but at the same time, you need to understand this is a country led by corrupt leaders, like the people. It doesn't make any sense for their own interests to to stop this division. I guess. Like they're more interested in consolidating their own power and lining their own pockets. Yeah, and I think there's been the, there's been the story of um, Nigerian politics. You know, um, just empowering yourself. You know, that's uh, what do you think about Sunday Bowl and um, this new? Um, it feels to me like he's a new Yoruba nationalist and. A lot of people, the first thing that comes to mind is, um, may God rest his soul, Abafim Awolowo. And, of course, it, it seems like they're not the same pedigree because, you know, Abafim Awolowo is, you know, a, like a lawyer, very eloquent. I was listening to some of his, his like, a speech, like, everyone from way back, and it sounds very articulate. Um, and what do you think of Sonic Bowles, uh, your nationalism? Do you think he's going about it the right way? Or, I mean, of course, there's no perfect, there's no perfect, um, perfect person or perfect system, but what do you think about him? What are your thoughts on him? Uh, I'm not 100% familiar with him since I think he's a name I only heard of in like the past month or so. Mm-hmm. But everything I've seen of him so far, I think he's doing it in an all right way. I don't, th- I don't see, like, firstly, like my own way is I think violence is... N- only a complete last resort, right? And right. from what I've seen of Sunday Boho, most of his campaigns for this and most of his, his, his protests he led have been nonviolent, at least from his side. So I can't fault him for that. Of course, I don't know the whole story. Maybe, the maybe whole... there has been <laughs> that he's had, but from based on what I've seen, like nonviolent protests, that's all we can ask for. Yes. I, I think that the, the only holdback or the pullback that, that some of some, some people have about Sunday Guho is um, the way he attacks verbally your leaders or even like pe- people people of the Yoruba heritage are in high powers and and they think that he's burning bridges you know the elders the kings and all of those people he talks to them like oh you know. You know, sometimes, you know, you're on a level that you want everyone else to be on that level with you. And it's not just so. 
Um, but you still need these people to fall back to them, to use them, you know, in case you're in trouble or, you know, the government is trying to come after you. So I think that's the, that's, that's the means or that's a, that's a part that people feel like he should be more diplomatic or at least not just to talk disrespectfully to these Yoruba leaders. And um, I guess in a nutshell, what, what do you think, how should Nigeria handle this? Like, what should be done moving forward now? Like, because this is this is not a, 10-year-old problem. This is not a decade-old problem. This is a, like you said, probably from, from the amalgamation since 1914. This was There's probably an undertone of this too. So what can we do to even seem like we're moving forward? Like, I don't know. What, what do you think can be done, at least for now? All right. So from my understanding, at least, right, one of the big things that's kind of driving at least a lot of people that are supporting this current Yoruba nation uh, secession movements is obviously the the tyranny of the Fulani herdsmen on the on the farmers of the southwest. So I think one easy thing, one easy thing the federal government are doing is to protect those farmers, protect their land. And I see, I, I like exactly see like the federal governments are just turning a blind eye to what these Fulani herdsmen are. The atrocities they're doing on these farmlands, the amount of people they're killing amount of violence that's going on, if they can find a way to protect these farmers, I think it won't go away initially, but I think the, the outrage, the, the support for the movement, at least right now, will quell. Mm, yeah, I, th- I think that's, a, that's very practical. And uh, I just don't, I just, I hope, I always hope the best for them, but I just don't think, I don't think they're thinking about that. I don't think they're thinking about the way to solve this. I think they're just thinking about let's silence these people or something that they're not looking for a practical way to solve it. And um completely fine with the status quo. They, they, they don't really care about they solving it. That's this just that you know even sometimes you know your leaders might not have the solution. These are humans too, right? Like there's a there's a capacity, there's a limit to I guess you know what they could do. But at least you know sometimes it's just like okay this person cares. You know how like um and to use sports reference right you could have a player playing for you that is not that good but like you just he's heart and like this guy is so hungry like it's still like maybe sometimes people are like ah you know that guy's not he's okay but like our leaders does not even show that impact they don't show that like oh i care about these people even though i cannot solve this but i care about these people and um i hope the injury does not divide um <laughs> um so so moving on i think I think we'll, we'll be it'll be a clean division. It's probably going to lead to another civil war, and that's in everyone's best interest to avoid. To avoid that, especially right now, yes, civil wars are not good at any time, but yeah, even more so right now. Uh, all right, Shay, uh, moving on to one of the other things I wanted to talk to you about, and there's um uh, just to get your your general overview. Of course, I know you're currently not in America, but just to get get what you're. Uh, what do you think is a classical difference between American liberalism and conservatism? Mm. The the big glaring difference I see in both of both of those ideologies in the U.S. is is in is on social issues, like issues of like LGBTQ rights and, and uh, civil rights and and legal and um, like the, I guess, marijuana usage and other drugs. And like economically, I don't see a huge difference between both of the parties. I think both of them are very pro-capitalist. Maybe the Democrats have 
some aspects of the party that are kind of pushing more for a mixed economy, like Granny Sanders and AOC and Johan Omar and, and the squad. But aside from that, most of the other politicians under that party and in, in the Senate and, and the House are very moderate and more pro-capitalism, more akin to like their Republican colleagues. Yeah, yeah. Um, I think I think I think that um, I do think that I, I do think that different. Uh, of course, and you, you know, you, you mentioned some some issues, and of course, we could add to those. You know, we could add gun rights to that, um, and even free trade, even national defense, and and all of those things. So it, it, it seems it seems a little bit blurry, right? Um, but with with this new era of Trumpism, and I don't know if that still exists to this day, but I do think that you know. What do you think about differences in, let's say, healthcare, for instance, or even social welfare? Uh, what do you think about those? Differences in healthcare, I mean, now for, you got to forgive me, I don't really know too much about the healthcare system in the United States. But by the gist of what I know of it, from my limited, like, my limited, my limited uh, research on it, is it's still like a lot of healthcare in the country is still for profits, like it's still privatized, I guess, in a sense. And to me, right, I don't see either party doing enough to to address that. I see I think again this is one of the issues, one of the like the economic issues where I don't think they differ too much. The aspects of the Democratic Party that are pushing for like universal health care, maybe like at large the Democratic Party are more in support of like employment-based health insurance. But overall, I don't see any of the parties pushing for a change on that. Yeah, I, th- I think the healthcare system of America needs to work. Um, uh, like you said, for profits, yeah. And I think that the, the, the people that profit off of this, you know, the insurance companies, the big pharmaceutical companies, I think that they should have, of course, you know, and I think there's the, there's the problem about, you know, um, being very pro capitals you know, what's enough? What money is really enough for you? You know, they keep, you know, just keep amassing, amassing. So I think that the departments or the 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 the, the, the ventures on the healthcare, they've already made a whole lot of money. I think I would say, mm-hmm. and so I think I'm I'm in full support of universal healthcare. Um, but you know, yeah. there, there's some drawbacks to it, right? I know I've heard some of the arguments I've heard is that. People, you know, going to medical school would not be as motivated to go because now um, what what the pay because American doctors are highly paid, um, you know, even mm-hmm. compared, compared to the European uh, counterparts, they're they're highly paid. So, so what would you say to that, for instance, right? The, the counter argument to um, universal healthcare is that oh, you know, people would not be interested in practicing medicine anymore um, because. The, the the amount of work that they go through, you know, the schooling and, and the student loan and, and what they pay for their education, um, it might, they might not be well compensated compensated for mm-hmm. when they come out. I see this all goes back to the price of, edu- of tertiary education in the United States. So my answer to that might be kind of tied to that. But I would say, obviously, you can say that... Um, Say that the reason why they're like the healthcare is that it is how it is in the United States, like the standard is because of how it's because of how profit driven like the people that study medicine are. I would argue that if you were just profit driven when you're going to study medicine, you wouldn't get very far. Like it's a very like trust me, I tried to do it when I came to the it's a very strenuous process. 
So like if you're just saying, okay, I want to go to be a doctor for the money, like as as in that's just your motivation. It's not your, like most of those people will make it anyway. And on top of that, like you make you brought up a good point on like um like the costs of education, and obviously like after paying so much for like like a uh, university and then medical school on top of that, like you obviously want some sort of re- return on your investment. And I understand that I definitely do. So as it's as it stands, the way the education system is in the United States, I understand why there's an argument against universal health care based on that. But my counterpoint to that is perhaps you should also be considering making tertiary education free to at least residents of, of the states or at least, uh, you know, citizens of the country. Yeah, 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 totally. I don't, I don't know about, I, I don't know about that. I don't know about making it free. Um, I think, so maybe maybe they could make it free because I think they could afford that. Like you said, maybe not just to everybody yet. Maybe just to the in-state students and and make it free for them. But there's a very radical, um, you know, that'll be very radical. That'll be that'll be a very great paradigm shift. You know, just to make it free um, that way. You can start it off by at least like heavily subsidizing. I mean, they could do that. You know, they they give they give grants to to in-state students, and which which I also got. Like, this is not about you know, it's, it's not it's not a scholarship. It's just because you are in the state, they give you some form of um um subsidy if you want to say that they subsidize. That's, yeah. So they they give you they give you X amount of money. Mm. But is it enough? No, maybe not quite. Maybe not quite. You know, with what they're making. But then, if 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 if, if, if the in-state students start, starts, you know, if they if they stop paying, then you know the schools are probably not making as as much as they were making before too. So I don't know how to I don't know how they're going to balance that. Um, that kind of opens yeah. up another kind of, I guess, question is: Should the education of the people be for profit? Should it be for profit? Yeah, should should it be for profit? Yeah, in an ideal world, maybe not. But you know, I think that's just indicative of the type of capitalist structure of the American market. All right. Also, um, Shay, um, I know, but we both had this conversation about minimum wage, um, before. But I wanted to see. So, I know recently it's been said that the federal the federal government should pass a law to uh, mandate the minimum wage to start at fifteen dollars an hour. Uh, what are you? What, what are your takes on that? What, what do you think about that? Is that good for the economy? Is that good for for the people in general? Uh, it's 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 great for the people because obviously a higher minimum wage means that most likely everyone else's wages are going to go up as well. So more money is always great. But of course, I mean, obviously the the side of the argument that I wasn't really I didn't really pay attention to when we had our discussion was obviously like because I like. In my support for the push for the like the raise the minimum wage to fifteen dollars, I was more I was more looking at like the big corporations like Amazon, Apple, and all those guys. I wasn't I wasn't I didn't pay attention to what it would do financially to like the more like smaller the smaller companies, the more like family owned businesses, the yes, startups and everything. So uh, after like reflecting on all that, I definitely still agree that at, like currently right. You have people, yeah. You have pe- like a lot of places have people um, working on minimum wage and still having to be like 
public injection welfare system, like the, like the minimum wage as it is right now, isn't enough for a lot of people to survive. And I think, for, for, at least on a moral level, right, you should find a minimum wage where people can at least realistically keep their heads above the water. Maybe not $15, but at least I think the minimum wage should be, should be raised. Yeah, so, uh, you know, there, there are some things that on face value, right, you just look like, oh, this is great. But until you start digging into it and you're like, oh, you see the ripple effect that it can have, right? Yeah. Um, and, of course, I, I think you did mention some of the things, right? Because now um, the small – because one of the people that was talking to me about this at work um, is two sons. So one of um, – two of his sons that work at a pizza shop, you know, owned by – you know, just, you know, one of the, the, the local natives um, here. I don't know if you could call him a native, but he's an American here. Um, and, you know, it was like, yeah, he has to fire people because if they're mandating that he needs to pay $15 an hour and he, ha- and he has, you know, 10 employees and he can't afford that. You know, he has to cut that down. And also the price of pizza will probably go up. But I think that kind of balances out because now the people, the, the patron, um, at the pizza shop will probably also have increased, you know, the the the, the capacity, um, the purchasing capacity would have been increased too because now their own salary or wages have been increased. But the the other thing about this is, so if you were earning sixteen dollars an hour before, um, this man this mandatory fifteen dollars an hour increase or something would not affect you. You know, most companies would not parade that to say, okay, you know what, we increase the minimum wage by you know by fifty percent, like almost, you know. Almost times two, right? All right, so let's increase your sixteen dollars to thirty-two dollars an hour. No, that's not going to happen, right? So now people are saying, okay, that's not going to happen like all on its own. But of course, now with that mandate there, you now have the bargaining power saying, okay, so this guy over here that's doing a lot less than me is earning fifteen dollars an hour. So obviously, I deserve a raise based on that. And if you don't give me that raise, I mean, I could just go do that and earn the same amount of money here anyway. Right. Oh, see, so you're talking like you don't know how capitalist America is. Yeah, I think they hire someone else and train that person for that same position. You know, and, and, yeah, but and, at the end of the day, it's no scam of your back because at the end of the day, like, it's just a sideways move at worst. It's not like you're going for less money now. Right. But so, so that's the thing. So, so now you, you're looking at this, right? Okay, maybe the $16 an hour you're doing is probably manufacturing, you know, maybe something manufacturing. But now someone at and no knock on McDonald's, right, or Burger King, they're making $15 an hour, and maybe their job is easier. And now either you're doing something at $17 an hour, you're like, all right, you know what? I don't have to do that. Let me go, you know, let me go do something else, you know, that's not as, I don't want, I don't know how to say this very respectfully, um, but something more mundane, I guess, is the word I'm looking for. And I don't mean that as a disrespect. Um, but, but then that could just, even people coming out from college or, you know, just saying, you know what, let me just go take this job. You know, that, that it's not as, um, and I'm very sorry if this is offensive in some way. Um, but maybe not as fulfilling, I guess, you know, I feel like that, that might also brew that like, ah, oh, okay, I could just settle for this. Uh, what do you think about that? Mm. Again, again, this all comes up back down to the cost of tertiary education. Like the only reason why you won't feel fulfilled on what job you do is because of the amount of time and effort you spend on your degree versus what you end up doing. So, um, 
I kind of hear that, but at the end of the day, I mean, of course, I've already expressed that maybe $15 an hour might be too big a leap right now. But so at the end of, at the, end of the day, right, you still kind of, you still have that kind of, I, mean, I think people, right, people, I think a lot, of, a lot of the time people go into work, it's mostly just to, just to put food on their plates, you know, get money, to get money and anything. A lot of people would still be fine if they had less responsibility but, but making more money. Obviously, there's going to be the side of saying that, okay, maybe this job isn't as fulfilling as my last one, or maybe I could be doing more. But at the end of the day, why do more when I'm earning this amount of money like this? Yeah, yeah, totally, yeah. totally. Um, moving on, and I think we'll probably revisit this um, later. Um, maybe not in this. Maybe not in this episode. Uh, but who is your second favorite superhero? My second favorite? Yes. You didn't ask my favorite. My second favorite. Yes. Because because <laughs> when you ask people their second, like, that makes them think more. Like your first, yeah. yeah I, of course. Like, honestly, I have to think of my favorite. <laughs> do you think of my second favorite? So, so like? now you so do double thinking. So think, think, think of two. Then think okay, of the, well, the, the first one and then number two. I, I would say... I would say my favorite would be... Um, my favorite would be... Um, I think my favorite would be, be Batman. Just let me just go basic here, and I'll be honest. I love the Batman games. I love I love most of the movies. So yeah, Batman. Yeah, no, and no. My, your second, okay, yeah. My second favorite. Mm, now, see, I'm thinking it's either going to be uh, Spider Man, Miles Morales, Spider Man, or Invincible. Invincible. Uh, Mm. Yeah. You know, just 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 to not be basic, I'll go say I'll say invincible. Invincible, okay. Yeah. Um but my my favorite superhero is Spider Man. Um my second <laughs> huh? <laughs> just calls you basic. <laughs> just call me... Yeah, I don't know. Like I just <laughs> I just I just really like Spider Man, man. I just I like to be nah, I just, I just, I just, I just like Spider Man. Um, I think nah, it's the coolest one. Um, probably my second. Hmm. I don't know. Yeah, I think think of them now. The one being interviewed. So I don't know. I don't have to answer that. <laughs> You're not going to push you for an answer at least sometime. <laughs> at least, yeah, yeah. Um, um, what do you think the greatest technological innovation has been in the past? It, like it, it just in, in the in the in the history of of, of um, human existence. Mm. I mean, I think the like the obvious one is the invention of the internet. I mean, you, 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 I, th- you think that you think there's more profound than um, the press, printing press. The press. Mm. Nah, I, the, the power of the internet, especially these days. Like the amount of things you can find, the amount of things you can do from your home, but just over the internet alone, like you can, you can literally, you can sustain yourself working online. You could, like, you could, you can connect to people on the other side of the world through the internet. You can learn languages over the internet. You can, like, the internet, has, like, the internet has changed a lot of the stuff we we do 
like in the world, it's changed everything economically. I think I think you can go you can't beat the internet in terms of like its impact. Yeah, yeah, um, I do, I do agree with I, the fact of the internet, and I think that that's a that's a very good secretary or, or segue to um, the next topic I want to talk about, and that's artificial intelligence. Um, uh, what do you think about the, the the? And I know on the on the on the t on TV I saw you know a lady talk speaking to one. Um, I can't remember her name now. Um, but you know, it's there, there are a lot of advancements, you know, in machine learning and, and you know using this data to to do some some wonderful things and, and also scary things. So what what's your what's your reaction to um, the the trend of, of AI and artificial intelligence in, in our daily lives and, and what do you think the pros are and the cons are? I mean my initial reaction, I think, like with everyone else, my initial reaction towards it would be kind of apprehension, kind of like a fear. But I think one thing that I think has affected us is obviously in the movies, the futuristic movies, you always see the AI eventually take over. So there's that little bit of fear that that could happen in real life. Like whether that's realistic or not, it's still always going to be in the back of our heads. But a pro, the, the big pro obviously is increased efficiency, like in terms of like, in terms of like, um, like work, like work performance, you know, work outputs and everything. So like, like product, like, I, like one big place, I think AI, like artificial intelligence and like robotics are starting to really like take over obviously is in manufacturing. Like, obviously, like the amount of output, like, uh, like factories can put out these days compared to when it was manual labor is is incredible so in terms of that in terms, in terms of that that's a that's a definitely that's a definitely big plus for artificial intelligence a con obviously is obviously is like the cost of mass producing uh like robots and and supercomputers and everything as well as you know the people that that these things might be replacing like like what are they? What are they end up going to, going to do? Yes, and um, I, I do agree with that. Of course, you know there, there's some apprehensions to 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 what the, the capability of, of AI. Um, but the scary part of it, and I was reading a book on, on artificial intelligence, and this is supposed to be like very introductory to it. You know, going through the history of it. And the person was just saying, and I had to drop the book because this was just so scary. And 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 um, let, I'm not going to read part of the book because um, I don't have it open right now. But let me see. Let me see how this makes you react. So we're saying that we could get to a point in this whole, and I think there's been there's been um, recent um, research done in this that the consciousness of a person could could be transferred to an AI, and so therefore that person could live forever. So I, I was just like, what? Like immortality is possible with this AI? And this is, this might be something big. So it's possible that like, you know, the, the, because if you, if you have the consciousness of, of someone, you know, being able to be replicated and, you know, when that person dies, you know, the, the same reaction that they would have done to things is still there. Stored probably, you know, you, you, you get some, something robotic to, 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 to man that consciousness thing so how does that make you feel that this might be something we're talking like in 10 five years i don't know if it would be possible but even just the thought of like immortality what is that how does that make you feel does that make your skin crawl like what do you, 
How do you feel about yeah. that? Yeah. Now that you mention, I think I might have read about this too, and that that reaction I have then is still the same now. It's it's scary. Like it's kind of like what? Like I I like in my head I think even if it makes sense, I don't know if we should mess with the natural order of things. You know, the circle of life and everything. We're like we're not meant to be immortal. So let's keep it that way. You know, but I, at the same time, I can understand the appeal, obviously. Like, if you lose a loved one, like, we would never have to deal with the grief of losing a loved one again if, like, let's say, you know, like, the organic bodies, you know, their time comes, we can just transfer their consciousness into a robot. But I don't think it will be the same. And I don't think, I don't, like, personally, I'm, I'm against it. I'm against it. Right. Yeah. Like, it's, I know. And, and for me, right, like, um, thinking of mortality and, and immortality, um, when you think about it, like mortality is kind of what makes what we do on the earth matter. The fact that we're not going to be around forever is what kind of makes us do things, you know, kind of make it make something out of our lives. And, so, you know, the, you just you just answered part of the next um, question I wanted us to talk about. And that's the meaning of life. And um, th- there was this German uh, philosopher that said that. Um, that the meaning of life, that the reason why life has meaning, I think his name is Martin Hediger, I think is his name, and he's a philosopher. Um, he said the, the reason why our life has meaning is because of um, how finite it is, right? Because we know that, you know, when we're not immortal, like we're not going to be here forever. So what do you think the meaning of life is? What's the meaning of life to you? How do you make sense of life? Hmm. <laughs> oh, man. Okay, that's kind of deep. I know that's a that's yeah, a deep yeah. one. I know. Sorry, I didn't give you um, an easy toss ball. I I threw a fast speech at you, bro. Yeah. I don't like for me, man. I don't think like there's an overarching meaning to life. I think I think one like once you're alive, you're the ones you're the one that's kind of tasked to find that meaning for your own life. You know, like from some people, like their meaning, their like what life is to them is making money. What life is to them is I don't know consolidating power. What life is to what life is to another is living 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 most enjoyable life possible. And what life is to them is serving their families, serving their serving their communities. Like it it all changes. For me personally, right, I think my meaning towards life is just actually I'm not too sure. Meaning meaning towards life is really just. Um, I don't know. I don't know. <laughs> it's really, it's really difficult to think about. I'm sorry. Yeah. No, no, I know. Yeah. And, and of course, this is this is an age-old problem, or you know, that even deep philosophers and, and deep thinkers um, have had, you know, to think about. You know, you know, there's there's been different isms, you know, existentialism, nihilism, and and even even theology you know trying to just the, discover the meaning of life and so i was just of course i know like this is not something that you could just you know under like one meaning just come up with oh what's the meaning of life and, and that but no mm-hmm. i think that's um i think that we we do of course you know we can make the best out of you know the time that we've been giving and, and enjoy that um the time um let's let's move let, let's talk some sports let's talk some sports um England is in the finals. Yay. Um, what what team is coming home? Uh, it's coming home, home, right? 
I'll say, I'll say, I'm kind of supporting England mostly, mostly for the Man United players and there, you know, the Maguire, you know, Shaw, Rashford, Sancho. Hey, <laughs> he's up on Sancho. He hasn't played for us yet. Why are we considering him? But yeah, go ahead. <laughs> nah, nah, it's it's really for the like the Man players in there. So, so for their sake, I'm I'm ready for England, but you know, it's not it's not too deep for me. Hmm. Yeah, so um, before we even get into that, what do you think about this golden generation of Belgium and and how they were so stacked? And do you, did you think they underachieved? Oh, definitely, definitely. Like at some points, they probably had the top two players in the in the Premier League in De Bruyne and Eden Hazard, both both of them. And of course, for like a top top class striker like Lukaku. Back then, they also had like like they they had like strong midfielders like. Vixo, I think right now injuries are hampering him, but way back then he was pretty he was pretty good. He had a Chilam or Chilmans, I think it's more recent. But um Carrasco was really good before as well. And before, like they had a very strong defense in Bretongen, Alderweireld, and Courtois at the back. But now I think that time has passed. Like Hazard isn't the same player anymore. Uh Alderweireld and Bretongen are old. The Marlin is old, is way past his Castle for a while. Yeah, why mm-hmm. is Bemelie still playing? <laughs> when I saw that that, that uh, Belgium Portugal game, I was like, Vermeulen's still there. I was like, what is going on? Yeah, I was surprised to see Vermeulen and Pepe still playing. Yeah, I think the big the big reason Nangolan. That's who I was forgetting. That guy was a baller, Nangolan. Um, but um, well, I think the big thing is that they wasted too much time with that with Mark Wilmot's guy. Like that guy, like he was, he was never a good coach, and it's obviously so now. The fact that he's struggling to get a like a high job now, and that nobody rates him, and you can see, you can see it in like in the international setup. They played way too passive for like the attacking threat that they carried. Like the guy was never like he like he was not meant to be coaching. He was he was not meant to be coaching that kind of. That 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 kind of change. That that, that Starlets, that 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 galaxy of stars. Yeah. Yeah, yeah I do think I do I do think they, they underachieve, especially, you know, with with a, um but I'm really um, it was really interesting to see that um Doku guy. I uh, he's just eighteen and I think he's I think he's really hungry, you know, like mm-hmm. to succeed, man. Like I really like I really like his pace on the ball. Um mm-hmm. what did you think of him in this tournament? He was really, like the game I watched. He was really good. He was really, really impressing me. I yeah, know. I know. Yeah. Have you uh Have you played football manager before? I, when he just came out, like maybe, maybe like in the early two thousands, like maybe like mid two thousands, like early decade of like maybe two thousand five ish. Yeah. Ah. Okay. Well. Well. Lately, he's a bit of a FM wonder kid. So that's kind. Of, that's kind of how I knew him. That oh, he always buy him, and he always sends out great. Oh, yeah. No, when I, I, saw, like, I saw him in the squad, I was like, oh, oh, is this guy? Oh, he's playing for Belgium already. Oh, he must be good in real life too there. <laughs> yeah, no, and, and he's starting on that wing and he's, he's playing really well. Um, also, there's another final happening this um, this, this Sunday. Argentina and Brazil. What's your peak? Who are you going with? Is it going to be Neymar or is it going to be the GOAT? <laughs> hmm. My guy is... Just casually called him the goat. Hey, nah, nah, I agree with you. I agree with you. But <laughs> I, I would, <laughs> I would say, I would say, I would say, um, 
I would say Brazil's got it personally. I think overall, it's not the same Brazil squad as as all. I would say a little bit weaker, but they're still they're still good. I think they're still stronger overall than Argentina. Like Argentina, okay, okay they have um like Messi, maybe Di Maria. And other than that, I don't think they're really too strong. I don't know if the girls still plays with them. Lautaro Martinez is decent. I don't think overall they're, they, they, they're strong enough to take out Brazil. Take out Brazil. And of course, yeah. you know, the United side, I mean, my, my guy Fred is starting for Brazil. I got to support. I got to support. <laughs> I got to support Pastor Fred. Yeah, and I heard, I heard he's been playing really well. Um, the park where I play yeah. soccer sometimes, um, he, um, you know, some of the guys there are talking highly of him, man. But like someone said that international, like especially Copa America, that it's not the same. It's not the same level of difficulty coming to Premier League. You know that uh, he's been playing well there, but that doesn't mean that you know that we still don't need, you know, a proper DM in, in the United. Oh no! Oh no! Oh, we do need a proper DM in United. Uh, Fred isn't a DM. I think that's what this Copa America is showing here. The fact that he's playing next to it like an actual DM in Casemiro, and you see how he's doing. I think the problem United isn't like the problem United versus like Fred in Brazil isn't that um, he's playing like isn't that like he's playing against less oppositions like he's playing in a different role a role that's probably more suited to him like right. like like a strong thing the the big thing with Fred like a big strength of his is like his tenacity and his like his like his stamina and you know his, uh, his aggression yeah like, yeah and I think. It limited him to be like a deep line kind of player. It's kind of, it's kind of exposing his main weakness, which is his passing. Mm-hmm. Like that shouldn't be what he's doing. Like he should be playing against somebody, playing alongside somebody whose job is to do that, and his job is to just go up the pitch and cause havoc. Right. Wow. So you have Brazil. Um, who do you? So what player do you think United needs to get? Um, of course. Um, how, before that, how do you feel about Sancho? About our signing Sancho? And, and, and sorry, and just for those that don't know, um, me and Shay, we do support the same Premier League team, um, which is Manchester United, the best team in, in Manchester. So, yeah. So, uh, what do you think of Sancho's signing? I'm excited, man. I'm excited. Now, this is a guy that I wanted, like, to see in my year for, like, two years. So, like, see it, like, see it happen now is, like, like I'm telling you, like, I'm off. Let me not, let me not gas him up too much. But watching for <laughs> <laughs> but watching him for Dortmund, right? At least the play style alone, it reminds me, reminds me so much of like Eden Hazard back in the day. Right? And we know how Hazard tore up the Premier League, you know. So I'm looking for, and of course, of course, he fills up a huge hole in in that starting eleven that's been there for like like seven years now. Like that right yep. wing spot. Yeah. Don't you think Greenwood was doing okay on on that right wing? He was doing okay, but like he wasn't a winger. Like he was, he's more like a right-sided. Pull. Like if you watch, like in my, like you watch in my games, like our attack is very lopsided. Right, like Greenwood start on the right, right, but like since he's like, like he's actually a striker, he's there to score goals. He's, you help around and build up, but like he's more interested in making like those runs in behind. He's, he's like he's more interested in like the finishing aspects. He will drift inwards and to look for like that final ball. He's not really. That kind of creative player from the wing that we we could be crying that we were crying out for, and I think Sancho is a lot better than that. I think I was watching some analysis on him, like way, way back, like in comparison to like Greenwood and uh, 
Greenwood and Rashford sometimes when he plays there is that they they play more as like those kind of inside forwards. Like they're trying they're like they're trying to beat that line. They're not really trying to help progress the ball. And Sancho is more like that kind of creative player. He'll come like he'll come deep to get the ball, try and play those one twos and like progress the ball and everything. I think that's one of the big issues we have in our attack is that especially in midfield, right? We have like okay, like Fred and McTominay, right? I don't think while they have their strengths, right? One strength that they do have is like ball progression against these big teams. Like I think they're there to like win the ball, but when they win that ball, we're not very good at playing out of the press. Like when they press us, because those guys, I don't think they're very like they're that good at pressure, under pressure. And when you're playing like like a Rashford, um, Cavani, or Martial, and maybe like Greenwood on the right, right? Those guys aren't really gonna show themselves that. Like when you get the ball, they're looking for that pass. Like looking for that killer pass and making that run towards that defensive line. They're not that kind of leaves like someone like Bruno Fernandez or Pogba having to drop back. And since Bruno is the number ten, he can't really he can't really affect the game as well as he can like coming from deep. So like just in terms of, in terms of like helping out even our other creative players, I think this Jaden Sancho transfer is going to be really good for us. Yeah, what do you think of uh, Varane um, and also Eduardo Camavinga? Oh, okay, well, like, well, for Varan, my hot take, right? If we can sign Varan, I don't, honestly, I don't know if this is going to happen. I still have that link between this guy is going to sign a new contract with Madrid. But mm-hmm. if we can do this, right, I really do think we can make a really strong challenge for the title next season. Well, with Varan, like, we, with him coming, okay, okay. Yeah, yeah. Because so, so one, I, I'm like, so, so you say so you because like a lot of people are now rating Maguire that the problem in, in oh. United is that because he doesn't have someone to pair with. So you're thinking if we pair Varane yeah. with Maguire, like that would make us very solid. I mean, it would it would it would uh, it would show it would really show people how strong Harry Maguire. Like people are rating Maguire now because they see him next to a defender like John Stones. Yeah, and and I, I Stones has his weaknesses obviously, but yeah, I, yeah. but he. And as much as I love Lindelof, right? He's like Stones is better than Lindelof, right? You see how, like, because one thing I think really holds our defense back is Lindelof's weakness in the air and, and the lack of pace in our back line. Obviously, Maguire is, is slow. We all know that, right? So, ideally, in a partner, you want somebody who's fast and quick and good in the air to support him whenever he, like, brings the ball out on the back. If we're playing that high line, they try and play off of Maguire. You have somebody that, that can cover, like, sweeping behind him. I think that that could be Varane. Like Varane, like you watch him, he is, he is very quick and strong in the air as well. Very good on the ball. So I, we don't compromise anything in terms of our play style that way. In fact, you could argue he's better on the ball than Lindelof. So that's like that's an upgrade on every on every scale. I wow. think if, not even just on defense. I think you'll even you see how different it is on attack as well. We'll, we'll probably feel more confident, like like pushing higher up. I think even just that sign that sign of Varane might even help us control games better. Yeah, and do you think that that might also help us, you know, not to to just play one DM instead of two DMs? Mm. I know. I, I I was actually kind of thinking of it in terms of like our current system. I know there's like the parts of the fan base that wants to move towards a four three three. Yeah. Uh, and my question, my answer to that is that like Bruno Fernandez is our best player, and he's a number ten. Like, why are we trying to convert him to a sentiment? 
I mean, like he could he could play as an attacking midfielder. Like, so it's not like it's not going to be very deep. It's just going to be like right by, not like right behind the CF, but like just I just I just feel like four three three. Like it flows the game better. Like you know, Rashford on this side and Sancho on that side. Maybe Greenwood in the middle, or maybe you know Cavani, or you know just let's go Pogba, Bruno, and you know all the yeah. I don't know, um, I, but yeah, I just I just think that we need to move out of that to the ends. Um, yeah, I guess also like moving towards four three three can solve the Van der Beek problem also. So I can I can see I can see why. Yeah, but my own like my own thing is I just I think we should be looking to maximize Bruno Fernandez and I don't know personally and, I don't know yeah that, and, and get as much as we can from him yeah. Um, yeah. What about Kamavinga? Well, what are your takes on him? What do you think of him? I mean I don't know too much about about him. Like I don't like, like spoiler alert. I don't watch much of Ren or Lebron in general, <laughs> but <Yeah>. um, <laughs> but um, from what I hear people talking about is that he's kind of he's kind of is kind of like that kind of like deep lying player that helps like in the build up helps in like that ball progression from defense to midfield to attack, and he's also he's also very good at dribbling, right? Of course, since obviously he ha- he has to be really good to have made his professional debut at 16. So like this guy, like he obviously must be special. So the fact that you know, see how many clubs are going after him, and of course, you know, mind you, going after him as well. I'm confident, shit. Okay, this guy might be talented. So my big thing was that I, I, like if we're gonna make a midfield signing, right? I wanted some. I wanted somebody who was defensively sound, but who could also carry the ball under pressure. And help, like get the ball, like move the move the ball, like progress the ball to attack more efficiently. And I think, I think based on what I've read and watched of him on YouTube, he seems to be that kind of player. So, so I'm I'm hyped. I'm 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 open. I'm open to. Yeah. Well, that's yeah. nice. Uh, let, let, let's talk some basketball. And uh, the finals are going on. Um, mm-hmm. Suns and Bucks. I thought I thought, I thought Milwaukee was going to win the second game. Um, but how are you feeling right now, and who do you want to win, and who do you think would would um would get a four four first? Bucks in six, bro. Bucks in six. Whoa. Yeah. Bucks in six. So you think Bucks are gonna win the next four games? Nah, nah I've got it. That's what I want to happen. Okay. But, okay. Yeah. yeah. So, so that's why I asked you two questions. Who do you want to win, and who do you think is gonna win? <laughs> See, my heart says bucks and six, bro. But my it's head six, says, not even seven. Yeah. Okay. My heart, my heart says bucks and six, but my head says probably sons and five. Because I think, mm. like, I think the bucks are gonna win game three, but aside from that, it's a toss up. So I don't know why this. So it's not it's not a knock on either side, right? But I just feel like this doesn't really feel like these are the two teams that are supposed to be in the finals, right? And th- that's the thing about sports, right? It's it's the unpredictability of it. It's like okay, you know, mm-hmm. because like the Suns' path of getting here is like it seems like everyone just got injured for them to get here, and you know, of course, Box too, you know, um, the Nets, which were the team I was supporting um, to to make it. I don't know. I just 
I, I, whatever, whatever team does win, I think they deserve it. But I just still feel some type of worry about it. Like, ah, uh... uh, uh, that's the, you, you see, you can make that argument for like literally any champion in the past decade. Like, oh, oh, but like uh, maybe this when Golden State came on the scene, though. Ah, uh, okay. 2015, 2015, when Golden State came on, all we heard after that all season is that oh. Oh, it's because uh, this guy got hurt in the West. Or it's because my Conley got hurt. It's because, uh, oh, because because uh, the Clippers blew a three-one lead. Blah blah blah. You know, like you always find something to 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 to, to minimize the accomplishment of winning an NBA championship. At the end of the day, right, you still have to play what's in front of you, right? And you, you, you yeah, do. Yeah, across the seven-game series, it's very hard to say that, that at least across that series, the better team doesn't usually win. Maybe right. obviously injury might be a factor to it. Like maybe right. maybe the size got injured. But at the end of the day, like the, that's why I said the best ability in a player is availability. Right. Say it's right. Like, get injured, right? But at the end of the day, that's the game is a game, and <laughs> you, you can cry about it all you want, but it doesn't. Yeah, make but it, it, it's it's a it's a it's a little easier when the other team's best player is injured, don't you think? Even that's though true. Right. you have to play who's in front of you. But when, when the Kawhi's of the world are injured, when when ADs of the world are not are not playing, and when the LeBrons of the world are not hundred percent, like um, you know, like and I don't know, and Yanis, it seems like Yanis is back. Like it wasn't, it didn't seem like you know the um hyper extension of his knee. You know, it feels like it. He said it felt great out there. So we'll see. We'll see how. I think he's playing. I think he's playing through it. You think it's but you think it's not like hundred percent. He had like forty something points this last one. I mean, see, it didn't like um like not sure that's like the best players out there can still find a way to show up even when they're in pain. But like obviously it's not obviously it's gonna show I will see how he performs in the rest of the series. Because like I, I go back to twenty sixteen when he was, was hurt throughout the playoffs. He still had individual games here and here and there where he still showed up but you can tell he was playing hurt. So we'll see how Giannis. Giannis okay, so I have, you, I have you Bucks in six or Suns in five. Hey, it's been a pleasure, Shay, talking to you, man. I really enjoyed um, today's episode. Thank you for doing this, brother. <laughs> Glad to be here. Really enjoyed it, too.